0: So our podcast is called Right and Wrong.
1: These are your notes. These (laughs) are your notes about what we're going to say. What does it it say? Would
0: be a good. (laughs) I didn't even get the idea. (laughs) Maybe I can just ask you the question.
1: (laughs) It's going well. It's going really well. (laughs) Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Jamie.
0: And I'm Emma and today we are speaking to Greg Buchanan, game writer and storyteller who has been listed in Forbes 30 Under 30. His first novel 16 Horses comes out on the 13th of May 2021 in the UK and the 20th of July in the US. Hi Greg, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Hello. Before we go into this wild and crazy ride that you've had with 16 horses. Uh, I just wanted to take it back a little bit earlier uh, because you have written stories across a bunch of different mediums, uh, comic books, video games, and now a novel itself coming out. Uh, and we would just love to know where writing started for you. Did you always want to be a writer?
2: Sure. Yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, in primary school, um, as with many writers, if you ask many writers, when they started, they were sort of a kind of, I think like eight or nine years old. I quite enjoyed writing um, stories, often little sci-fi mm. stories, which had character names that was suspiciously like me and my friends, um, <laughs> which I'm sure is true for a lot of people. Um, and um, I, around the time, I, I, I think I was... Received, it was one of the things I was seen as good at, so that was nice getting some reinforcement from my teacher and people I knew mm. and I started being allowed to write like it was the kind of thing where the teacher would tell you to write a story about like the woods or police or whatever mm. um and and she let me start doing whatever I wanted for those sessions, which was quite nice and a nice bit of kind of affirmation and, and, and let me be a bit more creative um and then um I wrote a bunch of stories around then um kept going um and but it sort of died down a bit as I sort of approached secondary school. Um, and it actually really, really kicked off me again uh, in a very strange story, which also makes a nice little anecdote, but is actually true at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was hit by a car when I was about 12 or 13. Oh, um, wow. And I was fine. I was concussed. So I was, complete, I was completely knocked to the ground. I was out for a minute or two, um, which I didn't realize at the time because I didn't know I was concussed. From my perspective, I'd just been knocked to the ground and then got up again. Yeah. My friend didn't tell me till later um mm. that i've like, been lying there for ages um weirdest yeah. detail was my shoes were sort of untied and kind of thrown off me uh, which apparently happens mm, as, right. a, as oh. a thing when you're hit by a car wow. um and um my father brought me to the hospital when i got home because i sort of walked the people who hit me kind of let me walk home which was weird and they, they sort of i didn't know who they were the ones <laughs> who hit me but because i was dazed <laughs> off they, you go they, now <laughs> yeah they, they approached they ran over to me and were like Are you okay do you need an ambulance and from me my perspective i'm like a little kid so i'm like no i'm fine um, because I felt fine which I gather they just took my word on and then <laughs> they left. Um, so a sort of pseudo hit and run not not quite a full run but sort polite of polite hit not, and run I know yeah. um, and uh, uh the dad very alarmed took me to hospital I was ultimately fine um just kind of a bit bruised and, and off uh, but he had I had to wait in the hospital for ages that day and he had some Stephen King books in his car Um, on writing and uh, the gunslinger which is this like dark tower series Um, and I was kind of reading through these um, and I got super into Stephen King as a result maybe slightly too young to get to Stephen King (laughs) um, especially those books but I got like super into it and I I read on writing and I read all I read the dark tower and then I read all the the thrillers and um, horror books and everything Um, and um, I then started just writing rip-off Stephen King stories which people seem to like Um, and then since then I've I've always like that that was a sort of more adolescent i want to be a writer now with a capital w um and i I became quite pretentious for a while after that. So like when I the closer I got to university and studying kind of like old old it should the more, I started just i I think that the theme here is I like just trying to mimic whoever I read. Um, but <laughs> I, I start kind of inappropriately mimicking kind of like seventeenth century people uh, for a bit. um and very recently I, I I sort of got into doing good stuff again, I think so that's that sort of my journey uh, if that makes any sense from wanting to be okay.
1: More. so you knew from a young age that this was what you 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 wanted to do, really?
2: Yeah. um and and it it's it's been strange having that as a as a dream from an age i guess because everyone has a lot of writers will say that you know they always want to be a writer and stuff but it i remember it kind of almost it, it it's been a really kind of like oh i really want to do that like uh, that's like a, a hope for the future but that can also be kind of a, a depressing or upsetting thing um for those moments in your life where you don't you feel like very far from that in, in a in a way that's kind of strange so sort of being about like 19 or 20. Being in my very pretentious phase, I just mentioned, yes. knowing like for, for seven years, for my whole kind of formative period, wanting to be a writer and being so far from it, then was like a very upsetting mm. thing as well. So it's, it's been a kind of good thing and a bad thing, I guess, <laughs> holding on to that for so long.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's really interesting. And going on, so you then studied English literature at university. Yes. Uh, and how did you was was your first job in writing, was that for video games?
2: Yes. So, um, I was through my, so I did things just your undergraduate course. Um, and then I was kind of, Oh no, I now have to enter the workforce. What do I do? I I still want to write this, these novels and blah, blah, blah. So mm-hmm. I was writing my work and then I decided, Oh, I'll just keep doing academia. I'll, I'll keep studying novels. And, and this will help me sort of, um, with, understand novels better It'll help me understand writing better. And I can feed that back to my work. And that was, That was my hope. Um, And I just kept doing it. So I eventually did a PhD in English literature as well. Mm. Um, And in the closing stages of that, um, I ended up doing some consulting for some companies um, on, on narrative because a lot of my phd looked at how structure um, and identification and characterisation all work and and the it looked at both novels and video games which is an unusual comparison but yeah, yeah i looked at issues of how control and interactivity work in, in lots of different types of stuff and this was interesting to some companies I worked with so I worked with an exam board who was interested in in, in some of these principles um, and and how to apply them to their to their kind of work and how to test and train people um, and it was during the this phase the very end of the phd where i was working on that stuff so i sort of started like earning some money at the same time as i was finishing off where I ended up going to a, uh, a games uh, jam event, which is an event where people try and make a video game within 24 hours, just oh, wow. for free or for fun. And it's a, kind of, it's a nice activity. And you, you get a lot of people who are kind of more, what you say, amateur status who, who are just trying to look, or, or trying to get into the industry. And you also have some people who are quite advanced there. Um, and I, I walked in uh, very jittery, but with the full kind of uh, confidence of someone trying to try to con their way in, uh, oh, yeah, to, to yeah, seeming yeah. like they knew what they were doing. It. So I was like, I'm a writer without having actually <laughs> written before. Um, and, and it, it went well. Um, unfortunately the, uh, the, so the team I worked with at that were a team from a company called Lionhead who used to work on the Fable series. Oh yeah, um, and they, they were all really lovely. Um, but they shut down like a, yeah. a couple of weeks later after that event. So there was a kind of, Oh no, all my, all the, all the people I've made at games <laughs> now no longer, the company doesn't exist anymore. Um, but, but it, it gave me a lot of confidence and it, it showed me people acted like the stuff I produced was as good as I was claiming it might be, if that makes any sense. Like it, yeah. I, I did the imposter thing, but it worked. So therefore it seemed about right. And so, yeah. And then that was my first professional writing after that. Cause, um, after that I, I used those skills to make some of my own games, Um, those got picked up in publications and then it eventually kind of led towards paying work so I transitioned from that kind of consultancy to what I really wanted to do which was creative writing
0: Amazing. do you think um delving into your literature studies really helped you for your initial approach into the writing world because a lot of people obviously take um have different approaches and and you've massively yours has been academic um and then you know as you said it, it it set up a lot of, or maybe opened a lot of doors, do you think? Um, or am I not right in saying that?
2: I think so. Um, I think the, the, I mean, there's obviously the skills side of things where, you know, I I, I can discuss certain types of text or I know certain things mm. from from what I studied. But in, in the pure kind of, does the qualification help? Like, did that help open doors? I think it did in a kind of, for some companies, it really did. For some companies, it was irrelevant in the game space. Um, I know that very early on, the fact that I'd worked on a professional basis in in that consulting I mentioned. And mm-hmm. I had the PhD. So I'd been paid by a company to do stuff related to narrative. And my PhD was helpful as an approach early on because it's it sort of, you, you have the benefit of the doubt that you're someone who's paid for this kind of ideas work at the very least. Yeah. So you can combine that if you're on the edge with, with the actual writing samples you see in front of you in terms of professionalism, I guess. Um, and, and I know some, some people have, uh, some people I've worked with have been, have been really interested in in that qualification and, and that sense of, um, I guess, knowledge or skills that would give me. Um, But equally, in many cases, it's the kind of thing where I used to, before I worked in games writing I used to on my CV have the big education bit in quite a lot of detail mm-hmm. whereas eventually although I still feature my kind of core university qualifications there it's, it's nowhere near a highlight as it once was and because it, it, it's not what people are I mean it's one of those things as well that once you have some projects in your CV and you, you've you demonstrated you can do it that's more what people are interested in I guess at that yeah. point than those things yeah. so it's really a gateway thing I guess.
1: And during your academic studies your degree and your PhD. Presumably, a lot of that. Well, you you did say your PhD did a little bit on video games, but you mentioned you worked with the Lionhead team who did Fable, which I'm aware is is a is a kind of open story world. You also were named in Forbes 2019 30 Under 30 list for your work on No Man's Sky, which is a is kind of a big exploration survival game. In terms of the actual the narrative structure, how did you find or how did you originally learn to do non-linear stories and how different is that or did you how how hard was the transition from from like a traditional story to a non-linear story like they use in video games
2: mm. so i think i think part of what made that easier in terms of what i've been studying for the last few years so in the, in the PhD, I, I looked at novels, I looked at video games, like I said, but some of those novels, some of those novels were really kind of normal standard novels, like the ones you're probably thinking of in your head, you know, like a book with a beginning and an end. But some of them were quite experimental stories. Um, not exactly choose your own adventure, but almost. So one was this book in a box by this guy called bs johnson um and you'd open the box and you have there was all these bit- booklets inside um and one bit says beginning one bit says end but the rest you can read in any sequence um and that's the book cool. resolves itself and there's one that's even more experimental but not quite as good um called composition number one by i think mark supporter i think is the his name um and that that similarly has a kind of that's just like pages that are separate and can be read in lots of different order uh, sequences um and the more you The more I studied those, the more I realized that we impose an order on storytelling ourselves. So even though your text and the authority of the author didn't really provide one, they were like, read it in any order you want. You'll make the same kinds of assumptions and structural work trying to go through those books as you would um, if it had been a defined order. The main difference is that you're aware of it and that people's readings Mm. can maybe vary a bit more wildly as a result. Um, yeah. And so entering video games and knowing that you can encounter lots of different story pieces in in different ways, um, to me, did I, I knew that the end result for the player wasn't going to be as different as I might have imagined if I'd not had that experience. In that I knew they were going to impose order on it, and. Right some of the things as well is that you you can have certain kind of touchstones in, in in a big video game term for this kind of stuff is the lore um as in the kind of background mysteries of the game's yeah. storytelling universe um and you sort of can have various touchstones and, and big things in the lore that if you mention they'll sort of the, the elements you provide for those will connect up in the re, in the player's mind regardless of the sequence which they encounter them they'll they'll um be able to build the story of what happened in a certain way like um, breadcrumbs
1: and, and kind of that yeah
2: definitely and, and there's this, there is some sequential elements to them anyway like you know you know generally where people will begin at the very least which can have yeah. a lot of big impacts on how the rest of it goes
1: oh, okay and then going on from that you've also uh I don't know how you've managed this but you've also worked <laughs> on graphic novels which is a whole other style of uh, of writing and 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 storytelling. Uh do you illustrate or did you work with an illustrator when you did those?
2: Oh, so I work with um artists and illustrators on those. Um the kind of biggest thing I've worked on hasn't been announced yet. Um so it's oh, wow. mo- mostly what's available online is is kind of shorter pieces um that I've shared. Um but yeah, um, I, I, with those, I'll write a script uh, for the team I work with. Um, and the way it works is sort of I'll write the dialogue and the descriptions and the layouts of what happens on each page. Um, They're Penciler um, or whichever kind of, there's lots of different types of artists that can work together as a team. Uh, but they'll draw layouts of that. I might then edit my script as a result. They'll then draw the full pages or see what it looks like. I can then edit my script further so it's, it's a kind of nice thing where unlike even with a kind of television program or film you can kind of quite iteratively build your writing and go back to it and make it better once yeah. you see what your creative collaborators have done um in a way that's maybe a bit harder elsewhere but that's very fun and very loose
1: mm-hmm. and how did you how did you first get into that how did you meet the team that you that you created because i imagine the relationship that you guys have must be quite important because there's always going to be you know you need to you need to kind of synergize without too much pushback, but just enough, if you know what I mean.
2: Oh definitely. So with some of them, it was I I put out an open call very early on when I was working on some of the shorts um to for possible collaborators. Um, and then I'd look at their art and then I'd think who best fits the style I'm trying to work with. Um, and so on. Um, as I've gone on, I've acted slightly more on a recommendation um or um connection between other people so if you work with one person uh, they can then recommend they work well with these other people um particularly in the relationship between people who kind of draw the comic and people who color the comic um and or ink it um that's a very important relationship and they'll often yeah. have someone that, that you know they've worked with before which is a, is a better than just clutching at straws from thin air and connecting possibly very disparate styles um and yeah and and sometimes the relationships because there's other writers and other people in for example video games who have worked in comics as well um and sometimes you'll work on certain intellectual properties in video games that are also exploited or, or, or written about in um game uh, sorry in comics um and right. so those kind of connections can lead to, to opportunities opening up as well because if you know, if you've written for one kind of IP in one field you sort of benefit the doubt just like I was saying earlier with the Um, having worked on, you know, consulting, I could then possibly do this kind of narrative idea work elsewhere. It sort of helps build confidence and and interest in, in your work.
1: Brilliant.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, in regards to Stripping It Right Back in terms of going to, you know, the submitting phases and getting an agent and being published, um, do you feel like already being um, a writer for video content and, and obviously comics really helped you in regards to getting an agent for novel writing? Is it the same agent or how, how did that work for you? How did that sort of that gap, how was that gap bridged?
2: So I have a slightly kind of strange origin story with the literary side of things and and getting an agent um, and my publishing deal. Um, So I remember I told you that I did that game jam with the Lionhead team. And um, after that, I sort of worked on my own projects and then they ended up getting coverage and so on around the same time as this was happening and people had sort of given me that in-person validation of acting like I was a writer and treating me like I was a writer rather than (laughs) the kind of thing I've I've talked to other writers about this the kind of thing where you say oh I'm a writer to someone and they go oh yeah and there's a kind of a bit of an eye (laughs) roll because a lot of people say they are but then no no I actually am it makes it a bit different Um, (laughs) and regardless the rightness or wrongness of that kind of snobbery that exists a lot of us have experienced it uh, to our detriment um and um so that that gave me some confidence and i decided to apply for the university of east anglia creative writing ma because um, i'd heard it okay. had a really good reputation um and had produced lots of good writers um and i thought uh, if i get some training for my novel writing this will like help me do that more than or better than i was doing already and and i got in much to my surprise because i found my my interviews were lovely but i found myself oddly kind of tested in the conversation in a way i didn't expect mm-hmm. um and it made me kind of examine my core of why i was writing and what i was even doing with my life
1: um, <laughs> what sort and, of questions did they oh ask
2: so it was it was i think a question was um i think something was said that this is a very rough paraphrase so if whoever's listening to this was <laughs> one of my interviewers and you didn't say this then it just makes <laughs> me um, but they, they said they said something to the effect of oh we really like your writing examples we really enjoy you know we really like your sense of style and how you how you do it all but we do feel there's a kind of sense of kind of emotion and core kind of presence of you on the page is missing um, and it's kind of a bit cold and sterile as a result despite the kind of how good technically it is. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think you do hold back from putting your emotions and your inner self on the page? And I was, I was sort of what? Oh, <laughs> That's my response of like, kind of That's... freaked out because yeah, yeah it's
1: like <laughs> therapy yeah no, and r- r- the,
2: writing, the relationship between writing and the publishing industry and therapy is fascinating in that sense of how <laughs> much they, they can resemble each other but um yeah I, I can't remember fully what I said to the question because I was sort of dazed at the time from from that but afterwards I that actually drove me to do some of my games work I did at the time um the biggest early projects I did was about the then impending Brexit vote um ah, okay. and it was like Joe Cox had just been shot, and and, uh, the the, the national atmosphere, whichever side you're on, was kind of a bit (laughs) terrifying. Um, And and so I ended up uh, doing a piece uh, related to that. Um, It it wasn't a kind of um, dogmatic kind of... um, uh, preachy piece it was more kind of using the emotional mood of the time to kind of tell a little dark horror story about a politician and a cafe um and, mm. and this kind of dark murky argument but i did that so i was like i'm gonna write what do i care about right now i care about what's going on i'm gonna do that and, and that actually really helped me so that that kind of set me up in games that conversation uh in, you know directly but um i got in uh, to the course but they said i i got in for like a year and a few months so i had a lot of time until the course began Okay. Um, and that I sort of started my work in games whilst waiting for the UEA course to begin. Weirdly, so I, I sort of knew I wanted to do the novel course and 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 try and get the opportunities from that whilst I was doing a lot of the games work. And whilst on it was good, I did because it helped fund the course when I was doing the course because I could do part time games work. Yeah. Um, and, but whilst on that, um, there's an anthology uh, that uh, of of pieces uh, by people who are studying on the course that is is handed out to agents and publishers. Uh, Towards the end, Um, and my piece I had in that was the beginning of my novel, Sixteen Horses, Um, and that got the attention of a bunch of people of agents who then contacted me instead of the other way around. Oh,
0: amazing!
2: Yeah, Mm. which is an unusual kind of uh, kind of almost freakish occurrence um that's, that's wild
1: um, that's the first we've had on this podcast yeah, yeah, definitely. That agents contacted them
2: it was really <laughs> nice uh, but kind of terrifying at the same time because you don't really know like all the advice that everyone else gives you is for totally the other world direction around so you don't really of know course. what to do um yeah. but yeah and so so it could sort of um although some of them kind of found out about my games work um, and some of them brought that up in our conversation. Some of them didn't. It wasn't like the primary kind of starting point of it, but it did, it did give more of more stuff for us to talk about. And, and I must admit that I did kind of pay attention to how people kind of discussed that element, like whether they, because, you know, games are viewed a bit of a certain way culturally by a lot of people whether they mm. were curious about it or whether they were dismissive about it was kind of interesting to me not not a deal breaker but kind of it, it was a topic of kind of how, how are people going to respond to this and, and me and what my interests are sure. and so so yeah
0: well and um, moving on to the novel like obviously 16 horses what were your inspirations behind writing this
2: so i the novel started as almost a completely different thing and it didn't originally have horses in it which surprises a lot of people considering <laughs> like the, the topic is that 16 horses are, uh, horses are found kind of buried in a field so how, how would it possibly start without that yeah. but um it uh, i was uh, so when i was in uea it was in norwich um i went to east uh, sorry um great yarmouth uh which is just a bit to the side i think half an hour a train 40 minutes um and i spent some time there completely off season when it was very kind of gray rainy totally empty oh, yeah. um huge rows of amusement arcades with absolutely no one in them um which felt kind of bizarre um in terms of like why are they even switching the lights on if, if you know no one's using them surely the electricity cost alone would make this not make any sense um for the day and uh, but i spent a lot of time around there and the mood and atmosphere of the place really made me want to write about a place like this um and i wrote these kind of short pieces and kind of vignettes about people in an imaginary kind of decaying UK seaside town um, that was Mm. a bit darker than some of the depictions of of such towns I'd seen on television and in recent fiction where, although you're told that the place isn't doing very well, you you know, you see that the the town has like a functioning newspaper department with multiple people working there. You see loads of visitors, Mm. whereas this place I was, at least the time of year I was, was was completely empty and void of, of anyone. Like some of the streets were completely empty um and that idea of disappearance became really key to what 16 horses was about at the beginning and w- what it still is really about now um in many different ways okay. um and in a kind of almost uh, a, a big um, a film i saw around the time that was a big inspirational in novel as well was um peter weir's picnic hanging rock um which okay. just has this this great moment of um for, for those who aren't aware of what the film is about it's uh a group of uh, schoolgirls go missing in the australian kind of outback or in this rock hanging rock this place um and although you know it's, it's about their disappearance and what it does to the community um you sort of don't really get full answers to a lot of the questions you might have while I was watching the film and it was a very kind of mysterious eerie almost science fiction horror thing without ever actually having any science fiction or horror in it um, right. but this kind of really intense atmosphere and, and i was just kind of enchanted by that and and thinking about what i was trying to every time
1: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
2: um i started kind of imagining what if various people in that town just started going missing and, and disappearing from their life and, and being forgotten about um and that element that plot the way i was using those characters is not present in the final book that was almost my way into it and and imagining these people um and i okay. but before that plotline that i was working on where it was going to have almost this sense of mass disappearance um i wanted a kind of opening that you know had an, an inciting event of kind of almost weirdness that would would sort of lead to events occurring or at least our way into those events as, in the fiction and i wrote about a uh, Policeman walking across a farmer's field with a, a farmer, um, and they were going to come across something. And when I was working on that, I didn't actually know what they were going to come across. So I was just sort of writing a conversation between these two men walking towards something that was going to be quite eerie and I hoped whilst was writing it good because I didn't know what I was going to write at the end of it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I actually was almost tempted to use some kind of other animal and I decided I resolved I was going to have some kind of animal discovery almost almost in that sense of kind of, you know, in the horror genre kind of you, the discovery of dead animals or, or something mm-hmm. wrong with nature was often a kind of omen or portent of larger social collapse to come um sure. like lambs um have been born misshapen and so on um yeah. and in the end i they came across horses um and um i sent in that whole piece to the class um and the reaction to that was much stronger than ending i'd sent in before by by, by miles um and the um seminar leader who was giles foden who wrote last king of scotland he was okay, a huge yeah. supporter of it and he actually just said as did various other people why are you sort of write, writing about this kind of plot with the Disappearances. why don't you just write about the horses? That, that's way more interesting. And, and I kind of, when I'd written that initial bit, I kind of had an explanation in mind for for what that plot of the element, that that um, bit of the novel would relate to. Uh, but that then became the novel. And I sort of jettisoned some of the other kind of weird elements that I was going to use. Um, and, and you know, I mentioned that I, I did the anthology and some of the agents asked me for the novel um having read yeah. that beginning chapter um i sort of around the time i decided to jettison the rest of the novel was around the time people started expressing interest so i sort of was like oh uh wait another month or two please um and then just hurriedly <laughs> hurriedly chuck wow. most of the novel out <laughs> and started again realizing yeah. that this other thing was much better um and um and lots of other things then contributed to to, to the rest of it but i, I sort of almost uh wrote a totally different novel that one bit I think was very good of. And then I took that bit out and then wrote a whole new novel just based as a spin off of that chapter from the, uh, oh, wow. the original version. Oh, wow. That's
0: great.
1: And then you ended up, uh, the, the novel itself ended up being picked up in the us and the uk just off the first sixteen thousand words is that right
2: yes and that was a complete uh, i mean since that's been said it's, it feels almost coincidental like a marketing thing that was 16 um but i, I was actually <laughs> i was told by some of the agents to send in fifteen thousand words and i just sort of overshot so it was a sort of unintentional kind oh. of, uh but yes it did and and um uh that was a big surprise to me because i'd sort of chosen my agent and I'd, i i was going on a, tri- a work trip to canada so there was an idea that we were going to meet for lunch uh, when i got back from the trip to discuss the future and what we were going to do with it all um, and then i found at that lunch that oh by the way um, a publisher has actually already expressed interest um, and and that was that was very un uh, okay unexpectedly exciting and kind of um, weird great. compared to what I what I thought it would all be um, which was great.
0: Did you feel a bit nervous going from game writing into novel writing or was it was something that you kind of felt that was seamless for you like you felt like because of obviously going to do the course and and um, your style of writing it, it was easy? So I think they, I had
2: it was interesting what game writing gave me that i didn't have before and really valuable um it's partly a sense of writing experientially so in, in game yeah. writing you're writing for for someone to do something in that space they're going to interact, yeah. move things around so you have to think a lot about experience which is true of novels novels are an experience as well just you don't think of them in that way when you often when working on them and also dialogue is very important in video games in that di- games are such a kind of multifaceted and huge field compared to what a lot of people i think imagine who don't play a lot of games some of them mm-hmm. might as well be interactive novels some of them look like films um yeah th- you know it's a huge variety so sometimes when you write for them you have to write dialogue for actual actors which sort of hones how you're going to write because you know there's the kind of thing I think Harrison Ford said about George Lucas's script, that you you can write this stuff. He didn't say stuff, but you can write this stuff, George, but you can't say it or something to that effect. (laughs) Um, And so you you sort of have to really hone dialogue and experience. And remember I mentioned before that I was a bit, I'd gone really pretentious in my late teens. Um, This was the sort of great antidote to to pretension um, and and what I was trying to do and that it it added the exact elements my work was lacking. Um, And so I think that made it a lot easier. And, And sometimes even when I'm drafting, I'll, write a very rough draft of a dialogue heavy chapter just as pure script um and then and then we use that when i'm, I'm doing my polished draft if uh, you know as a way of doing uh, doing it in a, in a more easy fashion you get you feel the rhythm of the conversation more if you don't think about the other elements um for some of those bits or at least for me um so so that gave me a lot yeah. of skills um and confidence in some areas um in other areas it was a bit it, it was weird because i because I, I really liked game writing, but I never... Remember I mentioned when I was young, I, I kind of always wanted to be a novelist. I, it's not like yeah. I always wanted to be a games writer despite enjoying games and, and i really liking to play them. Um, so when I was game writing, you know, you have your fears and your doubts and you're wondering if you're good enough and so on. But because I sort of kind of almost happened into it, I didn't quite have some of the psychological baggage I think I had when I'd start, you know, I was finally achieving my dream with the novels. Um, yeah. And, and there was this whole thing where I, I think I was talking to my uh, fiance about it. And she said, sort of, it's almost like I put um the novel on a pedestal an early stage in terms of like this Mm. must be completely perfect 100 percent. whereas with my games i I do my best and i work really hard but almost any imperfections in what i'm producing are accepted as a a natural part of any creative process and possibly as a strength In that sometimes when you're you're forced to do something or or you you, something doesn't quite work that can actually open up new opportunities and you you see it for what it is um whereas i I couldn't so i could apply some of the more tangible skills to my novel writing but in other ways even though i was a perfectly kind of mentally healthy game writer to some extent um i was sort of a a gibbering wreck uh, (laughs) uh, at various stages of being a novelist
1: i think that's quite a common thing where people put a lot of pressure on themselves with their with their novel and just with their writing generally and they come out and they think this has to be perfect like every single sentence must be perfect Mm. otherwise you know i have to get rid of it or delete it and i i just wondering um so you, you did always want to be a novelist back when you were writing your sci-fi with uh, characters that were named very similar to your friends. Um, how many books have you written before 16 Horses?
2: So there was there was the beginnings of one very, very pretentious novel, which was recently discovered in a box of my <laughs> possessions and then destroyed uh, very quickly along with some poetry. Um, and, uh, but there was, a, there was another novel uh, that I wrote when I was about 21, 22 that had a lot of very interesting ideas and there was a lot of interesting style there um at the time i couldn't so some people really really strongly liked it amongst my kind of friendship group and some people kind of couldn't stand it um Mm. and it was it was not exactly experimental but it wasn't very easy reading um and i i felt very fondly and almost protective of that work long after i decided you know i'm not gonna not going to go forward with this um, but mm-hmm. I, I read it uh, you know a few months ago again and I really understand almost both sides now and I see a lot of stuff to like especially stylistically what I was trying to do but I also see completely why it wasn't working in a way I couldn't have understood years ago uh, which I feel yeah. like was almost a tangible sign because you know, I was talking about loss of confidence um, I think it was almost a tangible sign of growth in seeing it and I saw that I was better than I was doing then um,
1: which was nice.
0: Mm, that's good. Yeah,
1: I mean, there's a strong argument that people say where you have to write your first book, which is how you kind of learn to write, and then your you, you know subsequent books will always be stronger. So I think it's it's a it's a concurrent theme with writers. I think I know that's how I felt after I wrote my first book. Looking back at it now, and I'm like, wow, how did I ever think that was going to work? <laughs>
0: Don't we all? I think um people also get really caught up in terms of um like how to get the words on a page. And I was interested to know, uh Greg, how how that works for you and how you just get the words on the page. Like what's your style?
2: So this is if I feel so I'm I'm working on another book at the moment, and I totally thought that when I finished my first book and I went through the editing process that I sort of steam out as as a brand new writer where i i knew now what to do and it was all i had all that kind of sense of confidence and unfortunately Mm -hmm. lockdown hit at the exact time of that transition so i i don't (laughs) i don't know whether that was due to the weirdness of early lockdown or it being difficult to work on a second piece um but i i I, it's going all going very well now um but i've been thinking a lot lately about how i write and the approach i'm taking right now and i i sort of iteratively move between planning and free writing like whatever I want Mm. um for a chapter and I find I definitely have creative ideas because of that flexibility and because of suddenly writing something on a page that excites me because it excites me or it sounds oh what's going on with that um and and provokes curiosity me that I I try and put on the page um, but also I for a lot of, especially for the kind of, you know, at least last two thirds of a novel, you need to kind of very heavily plan various elements of that yeah. for it to work. Otherwise yeah. you're just going to go yeah. off into the distance <laughs> and kind of <laughs> And I think that's a big lesson I learned with um, 16 Horses was, I, I, it was actually a lesson I learned in game writing this this was a more tangible thing that I apply from game writing to six part way through sixteen horses because it really helped me uh, with a little bit of block I was experiencing at various points and it helps me now mm-hmm. is to think about the constituent elements of a kind of a scene so to speak in a novel will often involve dialogue you'll have you know, I think I said before i I will sometimes just free write the dialogue alone by itself um if it's a very dialogue heavy chapter. Um, But also certain elements like description of the environment and the atmosphere, um, physical motions people might engage in, um, those things sometimes I pre-plan or I jot very short vignettes uh, and short paragraphs about in isolation to the chapter itself um, and and have that with me when I'm writing, not as a prescriptive guide. So I I can completely ignore that if I want to, Um, but it's almost like... um, uh putting my paints on a palette so I, I guess yeah. um and, and I can I can use them if I want to um I've never really had problems with kind of um or, or already kind of hesitation about any other elements of writing and the glue between those things um it just stops me from staring at a blank page and being a bit terrified um and, and the, <laughs> yeah and, and I'm doing a lot of that now I'm I'm I'll also sometimes watch uh films listen to songs read books um if I know yeah. that they had a strong feeling um, ideally right. not the same kind of plot realm as what i'm writing about because then that's a problem but if they have a similar kind of vibe to what i want something to have um if, the, if i feel we'll watch something that's got that atmosphere and that creatively excites me i find it much easier to write the chapter i'm working on so you know the other day my new book is in no way sci-fi but i watched the beginning of 2001 a space odyssey um mm-hmm. and listened to the music and that kind of big black screen at the beginning and then the apes coming out and and that whole kind of scene and and that made it so much easier to produce what I was working on right after that um in, in and likewise sometimes even to produce those kind of initial notes some stuff like that will help help me get there um, and the, the more kind of it's almost like I guess acu- accumulating these kind of paints or layers of sediment and, and different materials together in a way that they eventually become more than the sum of their parts and, and they eventually start mm-hmm. feeling like they have some kind of existence independent to you just kind of making something up like yeah. if i go to write i was like i need to write about someone fu- you know i need to write about a funeral and someone feeling sad at funeral versus i need to write about a funeral where a bunch of photographs are being taken inappropriately of certain elements of the funeral like that immediately you know even if that's not the big plot thrust of that chapter that immediately casts such a kind of um heavy weight it's a
1: different angle right? yeah and, at and it, it excites a way.
2: yeah and gives you like you almost if, if you know what you're doing as a writer and you you suddenly have that kind of almost hook on your own scene you then you can do the rest yourself you don't need to pre-plan beyond that sometimes so yeah it's it's assembling those materials in advance um, but also being willing to if i'm writing and it's going well just keep writing, who cares? I haven't planned the rest, so yeah,
1: that's a great piece of advice. Really I think that's really, really, really advice. helpful.
0: Yeah, I think free writing seems very much like what improv is for an actor, right? It's just yeah. sort of the you take away the constraints of having rules and regulations, and you're free, um, for a little bit to kind to see of see what happens, see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And speaking of advice, uh, Greg, I wanted to ask in, in three parts here because you have done. Very impressively, you have done three different forms of storytelling, all with their own toolkits and challenges. I'm sure, if uh, you were speaking to your younger self or other people looking to get into these kinds of um, writing, how would you, for each, for video games, comics, and now uh, a novel, what piece of advice for for those three different things would you give to people looking to to get into those industries?
2: So as a kind of blanket, this is an initial blanket piece of advice that I. Know. Well, you can
1: do you can do one for each. Is what is what I meant. I think I phrased that really weirdly.
2: Oh sure, sure. <laughs> I, I spent I spent like initially just doing something in each form. So more than anything, like so many people say they want to be a game director So many people say they want to make a comic. Um yeah. it, and you ask them have they ever done anything and they'll be like no and they're waiting for some kind of opportunity to be offered to them where mm. they'll be allowed to do this, where the tools exist and aren't democratized now to do these things yourself at some level. Um no one can stop you doing a script yourself. Um no one can stop you. There's loads of tools online um for games right. that you could just do something. and since you've done something, you are that. And and that's gonna cut so mm. many people off from ever doing it, um, in a in a really surprising way. Um so there's there's that initially. So for games, um, I'd say make something short. Um, don't bother trying to make your magnum opus. Don't bother trying to do, make mm-hmm. some kind of like hours long piece. Um, use something like, so if you want to make a, te- a text-based game, it's a great way of starting because they're they're easy and they don't require, at least they've got a lower barrier of entry to, uh, to other forms. Um, they don't require a lot of outside involvement. Um, doing a piece using something like Twine, which is the online tool, um, you can make something about a, and this is really what i wish i'd done something about a particular event that's got some kind of dramatic scope to it so like okay. two people talking in a cafe or um you know uh a, a, even something like a heist or um two people breaking up or so, something that's going to be a contained event in a contained place that isn't going to last too long but that has some kind of element of, of activity to it that you can play around with of the interactivity and, and choices of, of a game and and so yeah, j- just 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 making something. And if, if you're going to make something, make something like that. It um, would be my mm-hmm. advice for for games, um, for comics. Um, to some extent, it's a similar piece of advice. Do do a short. Do something that's five to ten pages. Um, yeah. Th- th- with this. Um, you want the biggest barrier to comics versus these other fields is money to be honest because if you can't um, illustrate the comic yourself to a, to a, to a great degree um you've sort of got that barrier of, of being able to make it so if, if you know anyone who's in any way good at art you can you can try and work with them or to be honest sometimes it's you know, saving up a bit and being able to collaborate with someone or coming up with a way of, of, of planning something with someone where they'll get as much profits or, or if they want a portfolio piece or, or whatever. But, but that is a huge barrier, which I'm not quite sure how, how to see my way around. Um, for, right. if, you, if you're a pure writer and you're not an illustrator um, getting started in the field. Um, But um, certainly as well, trying to get hold of uh, comic writer scripts um, is is a really good thing as well for for that purpose. Um, And there's a few online websites and classes you can join. And that's what I did where you can work with others who make comics. You can learn about how that's all done. Um, And you can actually read real examples um, of of people's work um, and and even kind of critique each other's. So working on a short piece, but with others and seeing what they're all doing is is a really good idea for comics um, and and filling in the gaps and, and and getting a sense of how that's all done because it's a very cooperative field, um, in that regard. Um, and with publishing or or at least writing a novel, um, It's difficult because, I, as I mentioned, I sort of weirdly fell into this in, in a way that wasn't premeditated. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 no, one, uh, no one,
1: Very few people have had the experience you've had, yeah. I think, going into publishing.
2: Which is in some ways terrifying because you, you always wonder, am I going to be sort of story held up as a reason where that doesn't happen? <laughs> or am I yeah. going to be the, oh my God, that's a great reason for hype. That was amazing that that happened. And, and you never know, although hopefully well in this case. Um, and I, I think what changed for me even throughout the course and even recent, even in the last, even working on the full novel is thinking about, and, and people used to say this to me even when I was younger. And it's one of those things you can tell someone, but you sort of have to almost understand it yourself. You have to relearn that lesson yourself. Just like your parents telling you stuff, you have to sort of sometimes learn it. So, yeah. is writing for the reader and thinking about the the reader and what they are going to find important in what you're writing you, you you have to write for yourself as well to some extent. You have to write about things you're legitimately interested in that you care about, and there's a sort of venn there between that mm. and what the reader will care about. But even more specifically, is is and this is really ironic that it took me so long to learn this lesson, considering my PhD was about stuff like sequence and structure. Is mm-hmm. not overloading the reader with information in the novel that is extraneous to the dramatic situation that is it's not important. Like it's it
1: yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah,
2: yeah. It, it's interesting to know that about that character. And maybe you could have a kind of online... You know, section of stuff you could learn about that character that's not there but um I, you i i even read in some published novels um just so much information and 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 flash uh, it, it, i find that a symptom of this so this this isn't always bad and, and i i do flashbacks a bit in my novel as well but a symptom of this i find in, in my writing and in others is way too many flashbacks early on or way too many movements back and forth in time particularly the beginning of a novel okay. and, and on the uba course i saw that a lot as well and i feel like if, if you're listening to this and you're someone who's sort of Trying to get published, or you're, you're early on in your writing. Just think about how much you you, you sort of move the dramatic through, uh, plot line forward. You, you can have those flashbacks and those those explanations in the past if they serve the onward movement of the drama. Um, and right. a, a really good thing I found for this, I mean, you remember I mentioned I iteratively plan. So sometimes I do planning, sometimes I do free writing. One thing yeah. I do throughout the novel is I go through, read what I've done so far, and I try and translate each chapter into a sort of sentence or two of what happens in the plot um like or or what the function of this chapter is so even if it's not a plot thing like what does it do and then once you've you've written that list just maybe take a few weeks off read that list again and does that list make sense in terms of the way you've moved that and sometimes it really doesn't Uh, or you read a chapter and you struggle to say what that
1: has to do with the dramatic yeah, plot what the line. point of this chapter is yeah and sometimes you yeah. can you can yeah. fix
2: that by thinking oh, I can add this point and you can use that raw material for a rewrite and you've got all that kind of texture and flavor you've, you've generated in your sort of writing stew but you've now actually got some meat in there and it's going to do something um, and uh, one thing I really like doing is you know there's kind of GCSE study guide websites where um, all kind of uh, you know uh, secondary school uh, study websites where you can see the kind of summaries of what happens in each chapter of a book it's really interesting oh, yeah, to yes, like yeah. For, yeah. For, for, for books that you you kind of really like or that in your genre kind of reading some of those if you find a good one and seeing like it's, it's it's a way that you know English literature course never looks at a story or the way in the establishment you never talk about a story like this but like how many clues were in that chapter of that classic crime novel like it's a really interesting mm-hmm. question if you see that you can then say well how many clues did I have and you could really diagnose a lot of pacing problems by, by thinking about stuff like that. And it's not that hard to fix, um, but could really be to increase momentum. So yeah, I think, I think it's just thinking what, what you want to do for the reader um, and things. I just said, I guess, are ways of diagnosing or trying to attra- attack that problem. But I think once you understand that you don't really go back to writing the way you did before. Um, and that's been mm-hmm. a huge difference in my writing career. I think.
1: That's great advice. Oh, that's
0: great! Such great advice. Thank you so much, Greg. And we're going to move on to our last question now. Last, but by no means least. Um, And uh, the question is, drum roll. (laughs) If you were stranded on a desert island and could only bring one book, what would it be and why?
2: uh so it's always very difficult I, i'm the kind of person when i'm asked what my favorite food is or sort of collapse in indecision like gd from <laughs> gd from the good place like not knowing what to do um but i, I think i mean one the thing that immediately first comes to mind which i guess is the best answer to this kind of question um it's a book called pale fire by vladimir Nabokov. okay um it's so good so i, I looked at it a bit for my phd um as, as one of my books that i looked at um but i i sort of enjoyed it before and enjoyed it since um it's not one of his kind of better known. Uh, Text, you know, stuff like liter and stuff is, is far better now. Um but it's so weird in a in a really fun way. And if I could ever write anything like this, um I'd sort of be glad. And and various other people have tried to. So um the the, the novel is about um a poet, uh, John Shade, who's died, and part of the novel is just a poem. So a hundred pages or so of this novel is just a poem. Um and mm-hmm. you also get a preface to the poem and you get a big commentary on the poem. Um and that's it. Okay. The commentary is longer than the poem itself. And you can tell from the back cover, it's, it's it's really fun. The whole thing it's presented as if you've got this dead guy's poem and you bought this in the shop. Um, but the, the commentary like and the pre- the preface even reveals this in the, in the back cover is that the the uh, the guy who's edited this book and put commentary together may have possibly killed him. Uh, the poet or at least something something bad has happened between the two and it mentions that the, the the widow of the poet is engaged in a legal dispute to try and get the rights back and maybe he's not being allowed to publish this edition and the, the commentary is barely about the poem it's mostly about the guy writing the commentary and so it's a it's, a, it, it's got this kind of funny playful product kind of uh quality to it where especially if you study literature it kind of makes fun of study of literature almost in some ways or, uh,
1: okay.
2: but it, it's it's kind of even though it's really playful um, and and got all that stuff, it's it's in many ways very it's very dark, um, and it's very emotionally moving as well. Um, mm. And and that ability to be kind of playful, experimental, and emotionally moving and dark is a kind of unusual it's hard to do all those things at the same time
0: um, and
2: definitely. and I try and have a sense of playfulness and darkness in my own writing but I, I just love that kind of formal experimentation and one as a kind of highlight of a particular reason I like this novel is so you read the how do you read this do you read the poem first in the whole thing and then do you read the commentary Mm. or do you read the poem and then you see there's a note to line 22 and then do you read that note and then you go back to poem like what what way do you do this and you will find out
0: experience yeah and you find out the central
2: twist of this novel in a totally different sequence depending upon whether you read whether you do that um and so oh, wow. it's, it's you, you either oh, find wow. out pretty much at the beginning if you follow all the notes or you find yeah. out at the very end and so it's I, I love that and it never tells you that and and i think in the preface he tells you how to like you he almost he's like, Nabokov's winking at you about this is a thing and he says the ideal way to read this novel is to buy two copies cut them all up and then put the pages next to each other <laughs> and it's, it's just like it's like a kind of kind of finger up at the audience to sort of like what you're supposed to do and and, and some stuff since that. has been inspired a bit by it like um I think you've heard of House of leaves uh, by Mark Danielski uh, that's that's got a similar kind of element in that it's got a kind of book and then there's a book about the book and there's a lot it's a bit more horror of that um, but so there's a kind of sub genre of things that are inspired by this kind of weird experiment that I, and I, I don't know what I'd ever do for it but I, I, I just love to do something like that and it's, it's such fun
1: i gotta get
0: my sounds hands on great. that great that sounds really oh, good so and good. especially if you're on a desert island it's the kind of sort of job that you want to do to piece together this novel from different angles you can oh, read yeah. it from uh you know every different angle um while you're stranded on the desert <laughs> Definitely so um is. that's great oh thank you so much for your time yeah, Greg. Thanks, it's, Greg. Been it's been absolutely really wonderful great. yeah having you on and speaking to you you've been so insightful and um and wish you the best of luck for for 16 horses and we can't wait to read it as well
2: That's thank you very much no it's been it's been lovely talking thank you
1: to keep up with everything that greg is doing you can follow him on instagram at greg buchanan writer or on twitter at greg buchanan to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast follow us on twitter at right and wrong uk or on instagram at right and wrong podcast thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next one